and welcome to RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders. This is episode 27, A Practical Joker, The Letters of Jack the Ripper. I'm Jonathan Mangus, and joining me on the show today from Neath in Wales is Gareth Williams. From Ramsgate, Kent in the UK is Chris Scott. Mike Covell is in Kingston-upon-Hole in the UK. And Allie Ryder is joining us today from Charlottesville, Virginia. I thank everyone for being on the show today, and today we're going to be discussing the numerous letters that were sent to the police and to uh, the newspapers during the Autumn of Terror, supposedly written by Jack the Ripper. Most of these letters came after the murder of Annie Chapman, which occurred on September 8th. In fact, the first letter that we have contemporary evidence of the police receiving was on September 24th which was addressed to Charles Warren. This letter precedes the Dear Boss letter, which is famous, precedes the From Hell letter, which is also equally famous. This is the one that the killer, you know, supposedly, names himself and blocks it out with black ink, and names where he works and then blocks it out with black ink, and gives his address and blocks it out with black ink, and then draws a silhouette of his knife and says that this is the knife that I've done these murders with. It is small handle with a large, long blade, sharp on both sides. This is the September 24th letter. There was very little comment in the press about this at the time. It, it should be understood that the uh, letters to the police from people claiming to be the Whitechapel murderer was a press frenzy in that uh, the more that the press reported about the letters the more letters that the police departments started to receive. So the September 24th letter, predating all of these other ones that are signed Jack the Ripper, is considered the first one that we know about that that the police department receives. Does anyone want to comment on this phenomenon that occurred in this case of members of the public writing the police uh, claiming to be the murderer? What does anyone find interesting just about this this act? Can I just make a comment on that um, September 24th letter? Certainly. Uh, Again, for anybody who is new, I think it's important to sort of re-emphasize that that wasn't signed Jack the Ripper. Um, I think what intrigues me about that letter are these certain specific, because the the guy actually not only, it's blanked out, and as far as I know, the letter has never been examined to see if there's any writing actually underneath those blockings out um, forensically. But the guy does give his, or allegedly gives his profession, which is he says he's a horse slaughterer. Um, But I think the most interesting thing in that letter is he actually says that he was after one specific victim. He, he specifically says that he was after Annie Chapman, which I think is 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 quite interesting. But you know, he he doesn't say, oh, you know, I'm. It's 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 very different from the and also the the beginning of the letter, which I'm quoting from memory. He says, I'm I'm suffering from nightmares, as a right. sort of quite a strange sort of psychological tone at the beginning of the letter. It becomes more bantering later on. But I think there's some very interesting. I'm not saying that that letter is from the killer of Chapman or anybody else. But I think there's some quite interesting sort of bits and pieces in that letter. And, it's, and it's, it's interesting. Sort of be- should, uh, so, sorry, Chris. It's, it's interesting you should mention the uh, the horse slaughterer there because yes. I think at this stage, you know, bearing in mind 
this was received on the 24th of September. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, the Chapman uh, inquest had probably only just run its course, or it was still going. Yeah. It was quite lengthy. Um, yeah. But I don't think at that point, um, you know, uh, anyone had made the suggestion that uh, the killer was a, uh, a horse slaughterer. I think at this time... Um, Thanks to the you know the rather grand claims made in the Chapman inquest by the coroner mm. Wynne Baxter uh, and by oh, the, American, the police surgeon yeah. uh, George Phillips, yeah, yeah it, it was all about the the sort of mad surgeon uh, cutting out wounds yeah. and sending them across the Atlantic yeah. for monthly publication. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's, it is kind of I'd never thought of that before, but um, the fact that well, he nails the, himself as a horse slaughterer, yeah. When, when I read that, I mean that to me, uh, although he names Chapman, that all to, that immediately to me brings echoes of the Nichols murder. Because mm-hmm. of the close proximity of, of the um, the Winthrop Street, and of course the three guys came round and actually you know witnessed a body line there, the three horse slaughterers. Absolutely. So whether whether somebody had picked up on that and was trying to point a finger or thought you know yes that would be a likely candidate, they could you know all the all the usually they could walk through the streets covered in blood and nobody would take any notice and all this. Um, but I, I, as I said, there's just some interesting little points in that. Uh, tw- I've always found that interest that um, 24th September letter very interesting because it not only because it predates all the others but actually the the tone is if you compare the apart from the handwriting I mean if you compare the 24th of le- uh, September with the the dear boss the first one to use the name Jack the Ripper I mean they're so different not only in writing but in tone mm-hmm. you know the dear boss one is is more polished and it's also much more vague Yes. Um, the 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 supposed killer in the um, in the, the I don't want to go on to the dear bus because I'm going to come on to that. But the, the, there seems to be some very specific things in the first one. He says, "Yes, I'm a horse slaughterer. Here's my address." Now, whether that's just a come out and a hoax, and whether there's nothing under that, those blockings out. Uh, so uh, some at least some at least of which are done in a. Sorry, carry on. Now, I was going to ask if you if it intrigues you because out of all of the letters, you would credit that as being most likely to be from the actual Ripper. Uh, it probably as well to go on record now saying I don't think any of the letters are from the killer. Right. One uh, one problem that this letter has is in being uh, from the genuine killer, in my opinion, is the statement that I am the man who committed all these murders in the last correct. six months which apparently would include Emma Elizabeth Smith's murder, Yes, which we know or are told by her that she was set upon by a gang of men and not just a single individual. And, and also that if he was um, targeting Annie Chapman specifically, then, um, you know, why would he say that he's the person who killed all of these women in the last six months of of course of course the two aren't necessarily mutually exclusive in that somebody could be you know both a member of a gang of of louts and also a lone killer that is true and also if a serial killer picks out his victim beforehand and stalks her to learn his routine which has happened in the past it could be that she was specifically targeted and not just he 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 may have meant i didn't just Mm. randomly come upon her she was my target yeah, but he doesn't give any 
indication, as far as I remember, I haven't got the text in front of me, but I, um, I, I don't think he gives any indication as to what his motive was for being down on Annie Chapman. You know, he doesn't accuse her of infidelity or saying she was a previous lover or that she'd robbed him or, you know, whatever, all these other alleged motives, like, you know, the Malayan seaman who'd been robbed by the women of Whitechapel and all that. There's no, he just says, you know, I, basically I was after Annie Chapman, but I, I, as far as I remember, he doesn't say why. Right, he doesn't. He does hint that more more things to come, though. Um, yes. He says, I might toddle off to the Borough Road and uh, yeah. watch out for me there. So, that, you know, yeah. it, it starts, if you like, the grand tradition of uh, the sting in the tail yeah. um, in, in, in terms there, of these matters. I haven't got the text in front of me, but isn't there right at the end? Because I know there's a, a second page with those two strange drawings on, and there's an odd comment on there. But there's... Um, there was, uh, right at the end, there's almost like a plea to catch him. Right, he says he'll surrender, but he's not going to walk to the police station himself. The other odd thing, and again, I'm doing this from memory, is the two draw- or the, the drawings on the back, there's one of a knife, but if I remember rightly, which always struck me as odd, it says photo of knife. Right, and that occurs in another Ripper letter in which he draws his self-portrait pretty well, I might add, and he calls it a photo, fo- this is my photo which always, again, it's just one of those oddities that sort of stick out. So, so, many of the, so many of the Ripper letters, when you read them, they're obviously, you know, rehashed. They're, they're either obviously demented. I mean, some of them, I think, are from some seriously unbalanced people. But uh, those that were either from just, like, notoriety or thrill-seekers are so obviously rehashes of, you know, previous stuff, which, personally, I think is, seven, you know, the September the, um, 17th letter is. Um, but this one, there are some really old little bits in it, probably because it's the first one. <laughs> yeah, there's been an advantage there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're going to fix something, you better be the first to do it, yeah. Yeah. But no, it, it is interesting, and, and as well, it sets, it sets another precedent in, in, in targeting Sir Charles Warren, um, who, in his time, I think, uh, got the most of, well, certainly of the extant letters. Yes. Um, we, we know that many were destroyed, or we can surmise that many were destroyed, but of those that survived, Warren was the, the guy who was targeted the most, it what, seems. Was there, was there any, I'm, I'm, this is not a catch, because I really don't know the answer myself, and I don't remember seeing anything in sort of newspaper researches, but was there any publicity, when you said there wasn't a publicity, I mean, was there any mention made... Um, to about this letter before the Dear Boss letter was received that we know of. Any mention in the press, you mean? Um, yeah, of the of the September the twenty fourth letter. Uh, I'd have to look. I it don't. Up. I don't remember seeing any. I said there wasn't, but um, <laughs> let's let's take a vote. I don't think there was either. No, I don't remember ever seeing any. I think the other, you know, the other sort of vague point of interest was that um, the other one, which was received only what. Uh, three days later, wasn't it the 27th, wasn't it, the Dear Boss letter was received. Um, that was sent to the press agency, not the police, but this one was sent, the very first one was sent to Warren, so it was, presumably would have been kept within, you know, police circles. Yep, good observation. Yeah, I do not believe that the September 24th letter was commented on by the press. I think it was uh, set aside by the police. But was it was it ever commented? I mean, there was all the hoo ha. I mean, after they, when they published the facsimiles of the dear boss and the and the saucy Jackie postcard, I I, I don't remember ever seeing any mention in the press of the, um, 
September the 24th letter. So presumably the police sat on it the whole time. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. And if uh, we're wrong, eventually someone will post on the message board yes. and let us know. So. Yeah. It, it, it's, yeah. It's obviously a modern forgery. That's my view. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> okay. Well, it is the... Uh, it, it is interesting it being the first letter that they have on file. Now, a lot of these letters aren't dated, but we can assume that this letter is the first one that ex- that survives um, anyway to this day, putting the September 17th letter aside for a moment. And it is interesting that it has a couple of elements that we do see resurface in other Ripper letters, even, even, even if um, this one's contents wasn't made public, which is the drawings. Uh, in in silhouetting out um, his address and place of work and his name and such, you know, he uses the shape of a coffin in one, mm-hmm. and um, and then he, uh, like I said earlier, he he drew a silhouette of his knife, which became a reoccurring theme in some of the later letters, and it and it's also a theme that comes back uh, of the killer wanting to give themselves up, mm-hmm. but not wanting to give themselves up at the same time, you know. Wanting to be caught, but not wanting to be caught, but not yeah. not not yeah. yeah, taking any steps wanting to, be to stopped. turn themselves yeah. in. Wanting to be stopped, right? That brings us to the dear boss letter, which uh, it came just a couple days later. Um, in the meantime, the uh, police had started to post handbills at different places around uh, the neighborhood, asking for anyone who had any, any information on the murders uh, to contact them. And the central news agency, or maybe it was one of the other, maybe it was the Daily Telegraph or something, I forget it, I don't have it in front of me, but asked for a facsimile of these handbills that the police were sending out. And then just a couple of days after the September 24th letter, as Chris said, uh, the, uh, the Dear Boss letter appeared at the central news agency. Now, does someone want to explain for our audience uh, who may not un- quite understand what, what the goings-on were about the Central News Agency and why why this was a unique... Um, anyone? Hi, John. Well, um, I, I, I think yes, the... Um, uh, thank you, John. Um, I guess the genius, if you like, of the uh, of the person who wrote the letter was um, uh, he, he or she um, anticipated that by sending it to a central um, news agency, uh, that it would uh, stand a good chance of getting widespread coverage. So uh, I guess it was a shrewd move on the part of the writer um, to, to send it to central news in, instead of to, uh, to a local police station, let's say. Um, and the ruse paid off because the, the letter and the, uh, the subsequent postcard, which I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to later, um, generated a sensation. It was uh, made into facsimiles, and the facsimile- facsimiles were reproduced in many of the national and local newspapers, and I dare say some of the international press as well picked up on it. So this was um, a huge sensation, which, uh, if you look at the pattern of uh, of correspondence uh, concerning the Ripper, really sort of lit the fuse on uh, a whole avalanche of, of subsequent correspondence that, that flooded into the police and the press over the next few weeks and, uh, and, and months. Right, and, and by sending it to the Central News Agency... The, the central news agency was like a clearinghouse. It was a news gathering service as opposed to a news publishing service, similar it was to a, the UPI and um, the Associated it was a, Press. It was, a, it was a syndicate. Right. It was, it was one of the main two. There was the Central News Agency and the Press Association. 
I mean, you could compare like, the similar to Reuters. You know, they would disseminate news to to other outlets, basically. And what Gareth was saying, I mean, whoever sent the letter, you know, had a bit of nous because they were they even to submit it to the press. If they sent it to a local paper, for example, there's no guarantee it would have got the coverage it did because they might might have either sat on it or just it would have just appeared in one local paper or whatever. The actions of the police when the central news agency relayed this letter to them um, really added fuel to the flames as far as the uh, dissemination of this letter. With hindsight, yes. But, I mean, you know, I don't think we're any more immune now. I mean, it's, you know, you could say the same criticism and, and probably even more severely of the, you know, the Wearside Jack tape and the Yorkshire Ripper case. I mean, that was taken, that was taken, well, I think it was probably taken more seriously than the Dear Boss letter was because the George Oldfield and the rest of the detectives uh, practically said they were convinced it was from the killer. Right, and the police at the time of the receipt of the Dear Boss letter uh, were almost uniformly convinced that it was a hoax. And they stated that their purpose in putting up the facsimiles was in order to catch the hoaxer as, as opposed to catching the murderer uh, in hindsight maybe that's what they had said in, in their memoir uh, yeah but i think once you've let the genie out the bottle i mean once that once that letter was out and once the facsimiles were out once the, once the press got their hands on it i mean that that wasn't the message it was put across at all i mean the message very much was you know this is from the killer this right. is from the man you know this is from the man who's stalking the back streets of whitechapel and i don't think it's been emphasized here that of course that this was the letter that identified him forevermore as being Jack the Ripper. Exactly. It's, it's the name. That, it, it's yeah, the name. It, this is the one that had the name. And so here's exactly. now there's just a killer stalking the streets of London. And after this letter got the notoriety that it did, there was no yeah. longer just an anonymous quote-unquote killer. It was Jack the Ripper. Exactly. The and also, unlike, unlike a lot of later sort of nom de guerre, this one was actually allegedly given by the killer to himself. I mean, I, there, I know there are other instances where serial killers have, have contacted either the press or the police and have actually given them, you know, themselves names. But, I mean, Peter Sutcliffe never called himself the Yorkshire Ripper. And I think Son of Sam was probably not invented by Berkowitz. Right. Um, I and think the... Unabom, um, and Unabom called himself in his... Um, in his in, and I want to touch on this a little bit later, maybe, but um, called himself FC... Whereas uh, in his manifesto that he sent off to the New York Times, whereas because the FBI had been working on this case for years, calling him Unabom, the Unabomber name stuck to him, as opposed to what he preferred to call him. Yeah, the only the only other one I the only other one I can think of, who I, I'm pretty certain did name himself, was the BTK killer. Right, BTK did, and um, Zodiac may have as well. Uh, I, they picked that up from the sort of um, the, the zodiac symbol, you know, the crosshair uh, uh, symbol, like a compass point thing. Right now, uh, you were talking about Wearside Jack, um, and that, for the sake of our listeners, is is from the Yorkshire Ripper killings. Now, was that tape sent directly to the police, or was that sent to a news agency? Now, that was sent to George Oldfield. It was sent to the police, right? Because he taunts. Um, um, I mean, it's somebody who'd done some. Uh, minimum level research because it quotes both the letters and the um um and the tape quote very heavily from the, the you know the dear boss letter and the saucy jackie postcard mm-hmm. 
Uh, absolutely. I mean, the, the um, dear boss letter, just to give an example of that. Sorry, sorry Chris. Um, I was just going to say, just to give an example, uh, the dear boss letter starts off, uh, I keep on hearing the police ha have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. Uh, I know the, uh, yeah. the way so I jacked it went, um, dear George, I hear you're having no luck catching me. Yeah. So it, yeah. it even starts it off uh, and, and then goes on to mock in, in, in a similar sort of fashion, um, both verbally and in print. Yeah. Uh, to, the, to yeah. the style of the Dear Boss letter uh, almost 100 years earlier. And, uh, the, the thing that sort of strikes me about that is, uh, I dare say there were police on the ground um, in the Yorkshire force um, who probably knew a bit about the Ripper case, and uh, I think one or two of them may have raised this uh, sort of resonance as a kind of an alarm bell. But, of course, sadly, the Yorkshire Ripper investigation, or the heads thereof, um, yeah. Decided to pursue this 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 lead anyway, even though it was an obvious hoax to anybody who had yeah. studied the Ripper letters of, of of 1888. Now, the dear boss letter was sent to the Central News Office and then forwarded to Scotland Yard, and and this was on September 25th. So this was between the murders of Chapman and the double event. And like Ali said, <coughs> that, uh, for some reason we didn't even mention is that it was the first uh, usage of the name Jack the Ripper. And it was uh, written in red ink. He gives himself his trade name, is what he says. On the heels of that, especially when they received the Saucy Jack postcard, is when the police put up flyers in, in their windows that reproduced the text. I mean, not only was the Dear Boss letter reproduced in print all over the place, so anyone, you know, anyone who grabbed a newspaper could read what it was said, but... The script was, you know, they put up facsimiles of the handwriting <coughs> available to the public. And that was even published in the newspapers. Yes. And, and that's what started the flood of Ripper correspondence. And that, and that was done internationally. I mean, I've seen American papers with the full facsimiles in as well. And later we were to get letters from France and States claiming to be from the killer. Yeah, so, and, 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 one, and one claiming to be in India, which was posted in Dublin. I, I won't make any oh, Irish jokes. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't quite compute. Oh, for heaven's sake. Can I, can I just make a quick comment about the handwriting, which some sure. new to the case might not be aware of, which is that there was an appeal. You know, they said basically if anybody recognises this handwriting. But in late Victorian times, that would have actually been substantially more difficult because there was far less tendency to have individualistic handwriting there were and i've seen examples of them that 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 style that the um the script is in in the dear boss letter is basically a form of copper plate which was the standard um school taught and they had um they had copy books where they had to copy so you didn't just learn to write but you learned to write in a particular style um, and it was much stricter, and you were wrapped across the knuckles. I can remember my grandmother telling me when she was taught to write in school. Um, and, you know, you were taught to form the letters in a particular way, yeah. <clears throat> even down to things like, you know, um, you weren't allowed to, you know, if you were left-handed, you, you had to learn to write with your right hand, like the Queen's father did, George VI. You know, he was left-handed, but at school he wasn't allowed, he had to write right-handed, because it was seen as, you know, socially disgraceful to write with your left hand. So the, the late Victorian, I mean, that style of handwriting would have been common to a very large number of people. So letter writers to the police and to the press at the time 
we're aware that fingerprints, and this is bringing in the Saucy Jack postcard as well, because the, in conjunction with the Dear Boss letter is what the facsimiles contained. Fingerprint analysis was known to exist, although Scotland Yard didn't really uh, utilize it in that they didn't ever fingerprint people who have been arrested or anything like that. But but this was brought up that well, why don't you uh, you know fingerprint everyone you arrest you've arrested on suspicion and compare it to the fingerprint smudge that appears on the Saucy Jack postcard. That wasn't done, but like Chris said, instead. They, they put on their handbills, um, any person recognizing the handwriting is requested to communicate with the nearest police station. Well, if what you're saying is true, then it would, it would just be an exercise in futility, would it not? I think it was a combination because, I mean, by the time that was, um, I mean, because the double event followed on, um, you know, just within a few days of the, of the letter being received. Because um, I think the timing of the letter is quite interesting as well. Because if if the dear boss letter came um, as a lot of people suspected and still suspect from the the pen of a journalist, and it was basically you know to spice the story up, I mean the 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 Chapman murder had been what nearly nigh on three weeks before Chapman murder was on the eighth. The letter was received on the twenty seventh, so that's three weeks all but a day. So I think you know you've got to to bear in mind that the you then had the within two or three days you had the double event, and there was sort of hysteria on the streets. And I think the police had to be seen to be doing something. And as that was until then the only tangible lead, up until the Edo's apron incident in Goldstone Street, that was the only tangible quasi lead that they had. I think they had to follow it up. And in speaking of the Goldstone Street graffito, which uh, we're not going to talk about too much, just because it's not the the subject of this podcast, but uh, there was a talk at the time that the handwriting did resemble the author of the Dear Boss letter. A lot of people have this idea, and, and it's been reproduced uh, in films and documentaries and stuff, that it that the Goulston Street Graffito was written in block handwriting when it's, it was actually written in cursive. Yeah. And it, was just, it was described as a neat schoolboy hand. I wouldn't describe the writing of the Dear Boss Letter as schoolboy. I mean, it's, uh, it's quite a cultured, it's, uh, it's a literate adult, I think, the writer of the Dear Boss Letter. The press did jump on this in comparing yeah. the graffito to the Dear Boss Letter and yeah. said, undoubtedly, these two yeah. things were written yeah. by the same person. But that begs so many questions like, you know, do, do we have or did they have then, do we have now a reliable copy of of how the Goulston, you know, of, of the kind of script that was used in the Goulston Street Graffito. I mean, we have descriptions. We know the size of the letter. We know it's written, and also it was written in chalk right. on the dado wall. I so I mean, that. as someone who's used to writing on a wall, you know, a blackboard or whatever, yeah. uh, your handwriting when you're writing on a flat surface on a desk does not look anything exactly. like handwriting when you're writing on a board. So, no. one, when you add in the much more uniformity of handwriting, two, trying <laughs> to compare someone writing something on a flat surface like a letter with how they would write something on a wall, uh, I just don't think that that could anyway be taken as a valid uh, comparison. It was probably put in the news just for the, the sensationalism aspect yeah. of it, because there's no way that could be a valid comparison. I mean, if, if I had a pound for every, every time I've seen the word undoubtedly in a Ripper article, I'd be a very wealthy man. You know, I mean, 
<clears throat> they were, um, you know, they, they jumped on these, these comparisons. I think also if, and it's a very large if, the Galston Street Graffito were written by the killer, you know, by the person who dropped the um, portion of apron, then presumably it would have been written in the early hours of the morning in the pitch dark. So, you know, in, in chalk on a black wall. So I think, you know, any comparisons are extremely limited. The Saucy Jack postcard was received, possibly mailed out in the early morning of the day of the double event. Chronologically, we have Stride and Eddowes being murdered on the 30th of September. Saucy Jack postcard received on October 1st. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. The Dear Boss letter and the Saucy Jack postcard, as well as the Lusk from Hell letter, are the th- the big three that people will say, well, if any of these are written by the killer, it's these three or one of these three or this one and not that one. And with the uh, Saucy Jack postcard, there's some information contained in that lets people to believe that it might have been written by the murderer because it contains information that they might not have <clears throat> been aware of concerning the double event. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, in, in the Dear Boss um, uh, letter, uh, the, the author uh, promised to clip the, the next victim's ears off and, uh, and send them to the police um, just for jolly, uh, in, in, in his words. Uh, and of course, uh, the Saucy Jack postcard then uh, turns up uh, three or four days later and says that, uh, you know, he wasn't kidding um, when, when, when I gave you the tip. Uh, and he goes on to coin the uh, notorious name, in my view, uh, the, the double event. Um, so in two letters, he's given Ripperology um, two of the most resonant sort of um, sacred cows, if you like, and that's the name Jack the Ripper itself, and this uh, phenomenon of the double event. <coughs> And of course, in, uh, some people have, have since taken the promise to clip the, uh, the next victim's years off as a reference to um, the notch in Elizabeth Stride, who was the first victim of the so-called double event, um, the notch in her earlobe. Um, but evidently, or what, what was the word again, Chris? Undoubtedly. Um, this undoubtedly. Was, uh, 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 undoubtedly, yeah. This, this, this was an old wound that had long since healed. And then, you know, miracle of miracles, um, when they take Catherine Eddowes, the second victim, to the mortuary and uh, take her clothes off, um, they find a piece of her uh, right ear had been snipped off, or the yellow had been snipped off and, mm. and fallen into the folds of her garments. Mm. So um, this, if you like, sort of adds to the, to the mystique of the Saucy Jack postcard in particular. Mm. Um, and the October the 1st post dates, um, some people interpret as significant because how could the person have known it on the very morning of the, of, of the murder that um, the years have been clipped or whatever? Um, but of course, as, as Chris has pointed out, the October the 1st um, post stamp is on it, which meant it could, mm. could have been posted at any time that day. So it doesn't necessarily mm. mean that it was written prior to the double event itself or shortly after. There is this uh, window uh, of opportunity for the writer of the postcard to have read about the murders in the press and um, <coughs> fashioned his letter to mm. um, the Central News, uh, yeah. you know, in a similar fashion, knowing I, the details of the crime. So. I think one thing we must uh, not forget, and anybody who, anybody who's not acquainted with 
the way that news was syndicated in the late Victorian times might not be quite aware of just how quickly news could get around. The, the, the example I always quote is that on the 9th of November, which was the day when Kelly was killed, I mean, her body wasn't found until quarter to 11 in the morning. But that, that killing, admittedly only the sparse details, but that killing was reported on the same day in a newspaper in Australia. If you look in the Port Phillip Herald of November the 9th, there's a report of the Kelly, of the, uh, Kelly murder. I think it's, it's easy to underestimate, you know, how quickly the Victorians could get news out. So I think it's quite feasible for somebody to have seen... Well, there's two possibilities. Either somebody could have seen a very early edition, which would have had some details in, or the, if the letter were not from the killer, it's, um, you know, the other possibility is that it came from somebody who was able to pick up that uh, information from another source. Or if the, the old theory about the, the authors of the, um, the Dear Boss and the Saucy Jack letter, or postcard, uh, being a press person, are correct, then um, they might well have been on the street uh, scribbling in their notepads um, oh, quite. before the news quite. even broke. Yeah, or even if they weren't actually out on the street, obviously the news was collated and the articles written you know, by the press agencies before it actually went out to press. So, I mean, somebody who was you know, on the inside of a press agency or, um, of, you know, so, uh, some kind of publishing house to do with, with the news would have, would, have picked up the, um, would have picked up the details, you know, before it was out on the street. And it should be added that that was the opinion of the, some of the highest-ranking uh, police officers involved in the case yeah. was that it was the work of a journalist. And yeah. then um, when the little child letter was discovered, that journalist was actually named a Tom Bulling. No evidence is given, really, aside from the similarity of, of the accounts as to Tom Bulling's character, you know. Mm. But there, there, there were later press articles actually attributing the, the uh, Dear Boss letter and the saucy Jackie postcard to another journalist who they did name. Right. Um, Best. No, Best? It's called Harry Dam. Now, wasn't there another one? Best. No Christian name given, but... Um, that's the general. Cons- I mean, ripperologists tend to um, go along with with uh, looking at the chronology of of events, the mail delivery system, and the times the newspapers were released, and and then the opinions of the chief officers involved in the case. It it does uh, discount that the Dear Boss letter and the Saucy Jack postcard uh, were written by anyone but a journalist. Agreed. I think it's also the hindsight thing, because personally, if you look at the sort of psychology of it, you know, the bantering tone and the, if you, you know, if you think um, that you've got that postcard in the immediate aftermath of the double event, and you then had the Kelly killing, if that's by, by the same hand, um, I can't understand, if, that, if those two communications, the letter and the postcard were from the killer, why didn't he write more? Why did it just stop? I think there's some, um, I think, very valid speculation, Chris, around you know the, the authorship of certain subsequent letters, um, like there's one to uh, Sir James Fraser and the threat letter of the sixth of October, um, or maybe some of the, some of the other letters yeah. that arrived downstream, um, being being authored by the same hand. So I. I I don't think it's stopped with, with my view is, 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 is that the hawks are carried on and that there are some, yeah. if you like, um, 
uh, League Division Two letters out there. I mean, these are the Premier League. Yeah. Uh, but there yeah, are some other yeah. letters out there that, that that could well have been written by the same person. I've only I've only seen one letter because I've got the um, you know Stuart's book Letters from Hell. Um, I've only seen one other letter, which looks very much to me. I mean, I'm certainly not a graphologist, and I mean, I know it's a very you know. I'm not talking about the the psychic type graphology where you know you read people's, but the just recognizing um, handwriting. Um, there's one letter which looks to my untutored eye very much like the same writing, and that's the one I think you're probably referring to, which was actually, and I can't remember who the hell it was written to. It's basically threatening a witness, saying, you know, I know where I, I know where you live. Yeah, I mean that 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 one. Um, we don't know who it was sent to. Um, no, but it looks very much the same handwriting. Absolutely, and uh, Debbie Dobbins, for, for example, in a in a very recent edition of the Ripperologist, um, put together a very good argument. Um, you know, comparing that letter, Excellent. dear boss, saucy Jackie, and one or two others. Um, and yeah, um, having sort of formed that opinion myself, it was it was heartening to see Debbie, who's, who's got some experience in these matters, yeah. putting it together far more cogently than I could. Yeah. Um, and there is a resemblance, um, to my eyes anyway. Mm. And this letter you're referring to is the one he said, I know that you have gone to the police, and, and now you can see that I know your address, and, and I'll, I'll cut, cut your ears off and send them to your wife or something to that effect? That's what, yes, he's, he's threatening a witness, basically. But, but um, as Gareth said, I don't think there's any indications to who it was actually, who it was that was being threatened. Um, because, like, because, like a lot of these, going, going back to the um, the uh, September the twenty fourth one, what's frustrating as well about that is that, you know, some of these letters they we've got the envelopes for, um, like the dear boss letter, but some we haven't. So there's, I think there's no indication as to who that was sent to. As we had mentioned earlier, the letters were reproduced internationally. Yeah. And, and and so a lot of letters were coming into the police uh, from all around the world, not just in the UK. Um, but Mike has found some letters that were sent from Hull, where he is in Kingston upon Hull in the UK, um, concerning the Jack the Ripper case. Can you tell us about some of those, Mike? The first one I found was uh, whilst transcribing newspaper reports from Hull. Um, it was in the 13th of October edition of the Hull News. And and the letter was dated. Well, it basically said, "Hull, October the fifth. I've arrived in Hull last night from Manchester, and may as well inform you that I have a job um, or two to do here. Um, London's got too hot for me. It's all that I want is blood, blood, blood. For why you will know when I'm copped. I'll sharpen my knives and I'll take their lives and enjoy myself till I stopped. Um, and basically, the report stated that the people of the newspaper thought. It was an attempted hoax. Um, they were not giving any credence to it. It was written in pencil. Um, it was on a leaf torn from a pocketbook. And at the bottom um, is yet again another knife um, drawn um, in pencil. And it was said to be dripping with blood. Now, we've made several attempts to track this letter down. Um, various archival sources, uh, local studies. And we just can't seem to find it uh, anywhere. The next letter was from the 15th of October, 1888, and that was in Eastern Morning News. Um, this was interesting because it was sent to uh, a Welsh newspaper, um, and it, it was a, had a London postmark, and it was dated October the 9th, 1888. Um, it was sent to the editor of the Western Mail, and it says, What do you think of my little games here? Ha ha. Next Saturday, I'm going to give the St. Mary Girls a turn. 
and um, I shall be fairly on their track, you bet. Keep this back until I have done some work. Haha, <laughs> shall down Friday, yours and see Jack the Ripper. Um, I've actually got John Reese uh, in Wales looking at that for me. Um, the sem- I've, seen that, I've, seen that, I've seen that one in. I've seen that one in the Western Mail. Yeah, well, John said he'd seen the uh, letter um, in the paper because he had a look for the papers for me. He yeah. was trying to find out a little bit more about the St. Mary Street, um, why it was so notorious. Um, I think he had a relation that lived down there in the past, um, possibly his grandma, so he was going to speak to her and, and get some right. information from her. Um, then finally, um, the last one was dated 5th of December, um, and this was sent to Mr. Saunders, who was the presiding magistrate at the Thames Police Court. Um, and basically, it said, Dear Pal, I'm still at liberty. Uh, the last job in Whitechapel was not bad, but I mean to surprise them on the next. Um, and basically, it goes on and on. You've got the ha 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 in there that seems to be quite common with a lot of the uh, Ripper letters. Um, but but there's not really a lot of information in there you can, you can sort of take away. Um, and, and read further into uh, the only thing it says really is that he saw a police officer while he was in Wellingborough um, and he looked quite big um, other than that there's not a lot of information again it's signed off uh, as being from Jack the Ripper where's, um, where's Wellingborough? Northampton Northamptonshire North yeah yeah I guess is that midway between Hull and London my, my geography isn't yeah. that good yeah well, I mean, that one was sent to the uh, Thames Police Court, um, so I've, I've got reason to believe it was probably taken from, um, you know, it had been disseminated via the uh, Central News Agency or the Associated Press. There's no source for where they got this information from, unfortunately. Um, so I've got reason to believe that that'll be also published in another newspaper out there. Um, mm. They've just sort of got the, the, the news and, and published it. Um, but again, there's no date on there as well. Um, just the date of when it was published in the newspaper. So it could be from any time. So, Mike, can you can you email me the the dates and you know just a bit of blurb yeah, of course, about that? Yeah, yeah. And I'll see, I'll see if I can find copies of them in any other source. <laughs> yeah, course will do. It's it's a shame that Paul Begg isn't on this uh, this podcast because I believe the uh, incumbent editor of the Western Mail at the time gave Paul his first job. Oh. So that one, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> there was a feeble attempt at a joke. <laughs> Mr. Begg, I apologise. Yes. <laughs> He's not that old. <laughs> now, Mike, uh, these are all um, letters that were published in the press. In that, the whole press, yeah. That were received by the police, or were some of these received by newspapers, or a little bit of both? Um, the 13th of October... Um, Hull News reported that the letter dated the 5th of October was sent into the Hull, the Hull, the Hull News, which is on White Frigate in Kingston upon Hull. Coincidentally, it was just opposite the Customs House uh, where Robert Donson Stevenson worked. Um, we went down there the other week and tried to get some photos, but there wasn't very forthcoming. Um, the Eastern Morning News on the 15th of October reported the letter. Um, which was sent to the Wells newspaper, um, the Western Mail. And then the 5th of December, which appeared in uh, the Hull Daily Mail, there's no date to the letter. Um, it just says that it was basically sent to um, Mr Saunders, the presiding magistrate at the Thames Police Court. Um, so, you know, they've, they've been sent all over, um, with, with the exception of the first one, which was sent to Hull. 
And it was typical of these uh, letters during this period of time between the double event and um, the murder of Mary Kelly that the uh, the letters would say, "Well, now I'm going to Bolton. Well, now I'm I'm off to Liverpool, and now you better watch out in such and such place." And a few of these letter writers were apprehended. All of them, if correct me if I'm wrong, female. There was three who were arrested for writing Ripper hoax letters. Is that correct? And they were all women? No, there was one chap who was arrested and they found um, he hadn't sent them, but he had sort of like draft uh, Ripper letters. I'd have to look up the details. But there was one guy who was nabbed and they found like draft Ripper letters on him. But I think that was in America. Because, as you say, I mean, this, these warning letters, you know, you know, the ha-ha and I'm on your doorstep and all this, I mean, they were sent to police chiefs in America and Canada. Right. Uh, you know, it became a sort of international sort of phenomenon. But, yes, quite a few were um, women who were – I know of whom Jonathan's speaking, and there were women arrested for hoaxing the Ripper letters – one woman. Whether that means they only focused on the women who did it, or only women did it, I I don't really think that. But I do know the women were definitely. I know there was. I can't at, remember her name. I, I know there was a young woman who was actually charged and actually went to court, but I can't remember her name. Right. She. That, it seemed. Uh, was that the one who seemed? Because uh, there was two. There's two women that I recall, and I and I don't recall either their names off the top of my head. But one was had threatened to kill her neighbor or something to that effect. And the second one, I believe, was a younger woman um, who uh, also had in, in her possession um, the business card of the hangman for... That's the uh, one I'm thinking of. Yeah, that was Barry. Um, that was Maria Coroner. That's uh, it. That, yes, ironic, yeah. Ironically named uh, Maria Yeah, that's Coroner right. Yeah. From Bradford. Yeah. Um, and the other one was Miriam Howells uh, from Aberdeer in South Wales, which is where I was born. So... <laughs> So the ripper letters follow me wherever I go. It's uh, <laughs> it'll be India next or Dublin. <laughs> Maria Howells, as, as as you said there, John, she was uh, she was uh, sending abusive letters, uh, you know, under the poison pen name, if you like, of of, of Jack the Ripper to her neighbour, and um, she was eventually caught and turned up in uh, in the local court there, and she was very contrite and very apologetic. Um, and likewise, Maria Coroner, um, she was charged. Um, I don't know whether she went to prison, but I, th- I think the pair of them actually got off with either uh, raps on the knuckles or, or, or fines for, for their behaviour, for their disgraceful behaviour. Yeah, was it Coroner? Coroner was, Coroner was charged £20, and uh, Howells was charged £28, and she had to provide a surety of £26. Bloody so, hell. Uh, We've always had it rough down here. <laughs> <laughs> Anti-Semitism. <laughs> uh, there's a couple other letters I want to talk about before we get to the September 17th letters. So on the 16th of October is when George Lusk, who was the chairman of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, received the package that contained <laughs> the half of a kidney and the from hell letter. This is the one that says, catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. It's not signed Jack the Ripper. It's the one that's titled from hell. The letter was contained in the box that contained the kidney, or if the letter was delivered separately. Press accounts seem to say that it was included in the package with the kidney. It's all neither here nor there. On this, but on the same day, uh, he received this letter and the uh, half a kidney that was later determined to be human. 
this uh, uh, wasn't the first letter that George Lusk had received. He had received others. He had also reported a suspicious man um, hanging about in front of his house before this letter was, was received. But nevertheless, Lusk, according to his grandson, was of the opinion that this was a hoax played on him by some medical students. Lusk did get police security for a couple of days after he received the kidney in the mail, but still, as far as was publicly acknowledged, claimed that this was in all probability a hoax. The Lusk letter in Kidney rank amongst what some people would consider the most likely to be coming from the killer until you delve a little deeper into the uh, situation. But does anyone want to comment on the, on the Lusk letter in Kidney? Uh, well, one of the main objections I've heard, and I've, I've seen, um, just having said it's easy to underestimate how efficient the Victorians were in news dissemination, I think we mustn't also forget how... Um, remiss the technology was sort of forensically because um, certainly in a lot of reports I've read at the time of the Ripper murders, they couldn't definitely establish whether blood was human or animal. Um, and apparently, and again, I'm, I have no medical background, I can only go on what I've read, but apparently there's a, a very big question mark whether it would have been possible at the time to determine whether or not the kidney was human, let alone whether it was male or female. So the, you know, the opinion that was quoted... Um, because I, if I remember rightly, they, they took, and I can't remember the guy's name, they took the kidney initially to a sort of assistant who then took it to Openshaw. And, you know, the opinion was quoted, not only that it was, um, they, it, I mean, it's very detailed. They said it was half a kidney and it was the left kidney. It was from a woman. She was about 45 years old. It was a Ginny kidney. There's even mention in some sources about Bright's disease and all this. Um, but uh, from what I gather, that, you know, the, the, the medical technology at the time just couldn't have made those detailed assumptions. Yeah, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's certainly my view, Chris. Um, uh, I mean, tying the kidney to an individual human you know, would have required um, uh, well, either the presence of, of a perfectly um, excised piece of kidney that they could have fitted jigsaw-like back into the corpse. Um, but I believe by this time Edo's um, body was, was was already buried. I mean, the, the Lusk letter was, was sent on the, was it the 16th of October? Yeah, um, 16th. Uh, and in any case, it, it, it seems from later correspondence between uh, the medics involved at the time that the kidney had been trimmed up, to quote, so that, uh, I mean, the d degree of trimming isn't, uh, it isn't specified, but clearly if, if, if pieces of um, connective tissue and... Um, um, nerves, arteries, uh, or even kidney tissue itself have been snipped off the, the offending article. There was no way they could have uh, got a positive match with the remnant of the kidney still remaining, um, or, or rather the, the arteries still remaining oh, in, yeah. in Edo's yeah. body. Um, mm. Besides which, the, you know, the DNA technology didn't exist at the time to say, yes, this is exactly the same person. Indeed, the, uh, the technology and the knowledge didn't exist at the time to say, this kidney belongs to a female because um, to, to do so you'd, you'd need knowledge of the sex chromosomes and so on you know the the XX yeah. in the case of the female as, and the XY yeah uh, as I said I, I, don't, the, I don't think they even had the ability to categorically state that it was human or whether That's, it was removed from the right side or the left side 
<coughs> Correct. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly one of those who, who, who well, a slightly open mind. It's, it's reasonably closed on the on, 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 on the human issue. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, there were it wasn't Saunders. There, there was a, a doctor in Liverpool at the time who wrote um, saying that you know it, it, it could have been a pig's kidney um, because yeah. anatomically they're very similar. And I, yeah. I incline to that uh, interpretation. I I don't even think it, uh, it was human, or if it was human, then there was no way they could have tied it back to. Uh, Catherine Eddowes at the time, or even Catherine Eddowes' dad, for that matter, yeah, yeah? because you, you just couldn't tell sexes apart no. uh, through the kidneys. No. And Openshaw received a letter uh, not not too long afterwards uh, from Jack the Ripper that said, "Yes, you were right. It was the left kidney I took out of Eddowes," and you know, elaborated on um, Openshaw's findings. Yeah. Um, say that he had the correct determination, but then you do have Lusk himself, who believed it was a hoax. You know, up until the very end, apparently. Yeah, I, I believe Lusk thought it was a hoax from the, from the very beginning too. I think right. I think there's there's some stuff on record where he says, you know, I didn't believe it at the time. I just thought it was some sort of ghastly hoax. Yeah, right. Um, he, he uh, yeah, he he. Uh, said that to the other members of the Vigilance Committee. He just kind of wanted to laugh it off. I believe it was um, the the members of the Vigilance Committee who persuaded him to take it around to the hospital to have it examined. Yes, well, he took it to the Vigilance Committee first, and then they sort of presumably poked about and had a chat about it, and then took it off to, again, I can't remember his name, but this chap who was uh, a sort of assistant to a local doctor... That's Frederick Saunders-Reeves. Frederick Saunders-Reeves, Saunders, wasn't it? That's right. That's it. Uh, yeah, that's and he was the one who, from. And he was the one who uh, took it off to the um, London Hospital, to the Pathological Museum. Right. Dr. Openshaw, yeah. This um, was, again, of, of course, reported in the press very heavily. Now, there was also a story of a man who entered a tailor's shop to inquire about the address of Mr. Lusk came out in the press uh, uh, when they were reporting the story of the kidney they also reported the story of the suspect this of, of the sender of the kidney being um, an, an american and a clerical caller or something to that effect asking for lusk's address the woman's only right. able to provide the newspaper um, account that didn't have his street address but it did have the name of the street and that's how the uh, the letter was received by lusk but, but but again, that's full of holes because, you know, one argument I've read is that, what, I mean, one thing that the papers did then in inquest reports and <laughs> which would certainly not be tolerated now is that very often they would print the full postal address of a witness. And there, there, there were certainly accounts that mentioned Lusk, um, you know, in his doings with the Vigilance Committee before that letter was sent that gave his, his, his full address in the paper. Yeah, as, as early I think as the end of September, when when yeah, that's right. You know, well, when the vigilance, vigilance committee was formed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it was and, quite, it was quite then, standard. 
It was quite a standard yeah, practice sure. then to quote, quote somebody's full postal address, which again now wouldn't be tolerated. But yeah, the, the, didn't they? Uh, the, the vigilance committee wrote to the the Home Secretary, wasn't it, and said um, this would have been in early October, um, and, and petitioned for um, a reward or, or whatever. And uh, right. the, the press said, you know, uh, Mr. Lusk of one old and year old white chapel on my land. So thank you very much. Yeah, then a fortnight later, so, boom, he gets this disgusting parcel. Yeah. Was it Glo- Globe Road, Alderney Road, wasn't it? Globe Road. That's right. Globe Road, Alderney Road. Yeah. Um, can I just... Mark, is Mike still on? Yeah. Yep, I'm still here. That, uh, that letter to the Western Mail was sent on the October the 10th. Yep. Um, I found it only gives a brief mention. It says a, brut- it says a brutal missive purporting to be written by Jack Ripper and bearing the London postmark was yesterday, yesterday received at the Cardiff offices of the Western Mail. The epistle threatens a visit to Cardiff on Friday and is written in the diabolical style characteristic of these communications. That's, and that was in the uh, Thursday, October the 11th, and it says it was received yesterday, so it would have been the 10th. 10th. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay. Now, there, there are some handwriting analysis experts who say that the Openshaw letter, the one I mentioned <coughs> that signed Jack the Ripper to the doctor that examined the kidney, confirming some of his conclusions, was written by the same hand as the Lusk letter. Does anyone have an opinion on that? I, I don't quite see that. Um, uh, I tell you what I do see a resemblance with, and this, this will please uh, Mike Cavill there. <laughs> is is with um, uh, Rosalind Donston Stevenson's uh, letter referring to the Goldstone Street <laughs> of uh, Graffiti. Uh, the, the script uh, in, in uh, Donston wrote to the press um, towards the end of October giving his theory that Jews was actually uh, Jews, uh, so you know, the police ought to be looking for a French murderer uh, who got his genders mixed up. Uh, but then if you can you know, tell the sex of a person from their kidney, good luck to you. Um, but yeah, but certainly uh, Robert Dunstan's uh, writing in that Juive's letter has got the same sort of blocky um, appearance as the Openshaw letter. Um, it's just a bit of fantasy on my part, forgive me. Um, you know, the fact that Openshaw was uh, a resident in the same hospital where, um, sorry, where Openshaw worked in the same hospital where uh, Robert Dunstan was a, was a patient. Uh, there might have been some sort of, uh, you know, internal practical joke there on, on, on the part of Openshaw. Um, you know, there's a PhD yeah. in there for somebody. But I, I do find the little crabbed script and indeed the, uh, the nib work, if I can put it like that, very, very similar between that Juive's letter and the, um, the letter to Thomas Openshaw. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't see any resemblance between the Openshaw letter and, uh, and the From Hell letter, except that they're in slightly sort of jagged sort of handwriting, but uh, the idiom is quite different, I think, between the two. All right, Mike, um, do, you, uh, do you agree I, with I, Gareth I there? I agree with what Gareth's saying, yeah. I've, I've got a copy of the Openshaw letter and a copy of Stevenson's uh, 16th of October 1888 letter. Um, and, I mean, I've looked at them closely before, and the, the T on the Openshaw letter, um, where the... the Sort of, the, it looks like a capital T. It crosses the uh, main point, but it doesn't actually get to the top um, of the main arm of the T. Is exactly the same as uh, the T in Stevenson's letter. Um, so I'm, I'm sure there's quite a few. I might send them to Debbie actually and see if she'll chop them up and and see if there's any uh, 
more more letters that look the same. Mm. Some authors who have put forward suspects uh, use the letters in order to tie in their certain suspects. Um, not that Gareth was proposing that Stevenson um, was the author of any of these letters, but there there have been some authors, like Patricia Cornwell, for instance, who has attempted to tie uh, e- either one or, in Patricia Cornwell's case, a multitude of letters uh, to her suspect, which was, in Cornwell's case, Walter Sickert. Any of you see any use to uh, reading the letters and trying to attach suspects to certain uh, Ripper letters? No. No. It depends what you're sus- it depends what you're suspecting them of. I mean, at, at most, and being most charitable to Ms. Cornwall, the I mean, the only thing she might have gone part way to proving, which in my opinion she didn't, but I mean, at best she could have proved at the end of the day if all had gone well, was that Sickert might have had a hand in writing one or some of the letters. But to me, that proves nothing because I don't believe that any of the letters came from the killer. To me, it's two, diff- think- two, it's two different ball games. Right. And I think not only that, but it sort of shows Patricia Cornwell's overall inherent weakness in understanding the Jack the Ripper case, that she automatically assumed that all the Jack the Ripper letters, quote-unquote Jack the Ripper letters, were indeed written by the killer. I mean, she, yeah. she actually claims that pretty much in her book, and yeah. that is just the most ludicrous, preposterous. She must have woken up, wrote 20 letters, went and killed somebody, slept, wrote, you know, there's just no possible way, especially when you consider the various places that these letters were written from. And I just think that her attempt, and and like Chris said, yes, she may have, have, if she had successfully completed her analysis, which as he also said, I don't believe that she did, Mm. but she might have proved that he wrote the letter, but in her mind, that's proving that he was Jack the Ripper, and I don't think yeah. she makes the distinction with that proves nothing. No. no, no, I quite agree. I think also, I mean, going back to the Lusk letter, which I don't know, I, I have, I did read Cornwall book when it first came out, but I haven't gone back to it. Um, and I can't remember how much credence she puts in the Lusk letter, but, I mean, to me, one thing that's... Uh, it's odd that isn't emphasised more, is actually what the letter says. I mean, people get so hung up on the, you know, the angular writing and was he this, was he a latent homosexual, was he that? But what he's actually saying was he was a cannibal, which, I mean, you know, is one of the most grotesque things, really, in the whole case. You know, he actually says he ate half the kidney. Mm. You know, the other half. Yep. Uh, well, aren't Brits the one who do the steak and kidney pie all the time? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that's true. And half the time you don't know whether it's male, female, or human. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, he also came with... up with Sweeney Todd, so... I, th- I, think, I, think, I think basically, I mean, I don't want to pull out the rug from the whole discussion, but I think with, you know, the whole letters thing, I think basically you're in a hiding to nothing, because the, uh, if you think, as I do, that none of the letters came from the killer, then really they become a sort of are perfectly valid, but they become almost like an area of sort of academic research in their own right. They become more of a sort of social phenomenon than anything really to do with the case. And I think that's part of it also. Um, you know, um, Stephen Ryder, you all know him, he wrote, he did that book where he just basically compiled all the newspaper um, yeah. people writing into the newspaper. And I'll be honest, yeah. when he first said that he was going to do this, I thought, well, what possible interest could this be to anybody, yeah, yeah. you know? But then when it actually yeah. came together and you looked at it and you realized that this yeah. really was 
the social outlet. We have the forums today. We have internet, and this is what people exactly. did. They wrote into newspapers. They had long discussions exactly. that went back and forth with people answering counterpoint yeah. to point. And so yeah. it is a much more common thing back then to them. And to presume that just because someone wrote a letter saying, oh, I'm the killer, that meant they had to be, it's just not a logical deduction. It was much more of a common phenomenon now. Yeah. Then I mean, then, sorry, then it is now. We read something on the blog and we put it into the internet, whereas back then they wrote yeah. a letter and they sent it in. I I sorry, I was just going to say, it's interesting you draw that parallel, uh, actually, Ali, because um, I, I looked at Stephen's uh, book before, uh, before today, obviously, uh, but I refreshed my memory of it. Um, and it, the, the interesting thing in there was, you know, the number of letters that were were um, arriving in, in, in police hands or in the press, you know, giving advice and so on. Um, uh, and the really curious thing is a lot of these things were subsequently taken up. So, you know, the public and, and sometimes officials were writing into the press and saying, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Mm. And lo and behold, you find sort of days later, the police said, oh, that's a good idea. Mm. One thing that really leapt out at me was one of the early letters <laughs> from none other than, none other than uh, Roderick MacDonald, uh, who was the, uh, the district coroner, was it, for, for East Middlesex? Mm. Uh, and he presided over the, uh, the Kelly inquest uh, at the end of the series. Uh, but he wrote uh, to the Times of London on October the 4th. Um, and he reflected that the victims had died without making any noise, um, you know, thereby perpetrating another myth probably in, in, in the Ripper canon. Uh, but nonetheless, he said this, and he um, suggested that maybe uh, the killer was drugging his victims uh, and thereby introdu introducing insensibility uh, and then killing them after they were unconscious. Uh, mm. There's another Ripper myth for you. Um, uh, but he ends his letter by, by, by saying that... Uh, have any of the stomachs of the victims been ripped open to destroy or hide the evidence of any opiates in the stomach, which is interesting. Mm. I mean, there's a rich irony there because of all the canonical five Ripper victims, it was only Roderick MacDonald's victim, Mary Kelly, whom we know whose stomach was actually ripped open. It, mm. it, was, in, it was in pieces, the contents of a stomach spilt out onto the bed and so on. Mm. Um, and the second thing he asks, bear in mind this is the 4th of October, um, is has any such analysis been carried out on the stomach contents uh, to eliminate the use of narcotic drugs? And, mm. you know, blimey, on the 11th or the, or the 12th of October in the uh, Chapman uh, inquest, uh, Big the Edo's inquest, um, Dr. William Saunders testified that uh, he'd been given the, uh, the stomach of Catherine Eddowes and he tested the contents for the presence of opiates and, and found no trace of them at all. Mm. So here's a letter written on the 4th of October, which was evidently acted upon uh, by the medics in, in, in this instance uh, in the inquest of Catherine Eddowes. So these mm. letters were, were shaping the way the police looked at the inquiry. You know, they're shaping the way people maybe think or thinked, or thought, bad English, um, about the killer and so on and so forth. And I think, you know, they, they've, they've left uh, traces of ideas which are still very much with us today. Yeah. Sorry. And, a and, and so. I just wanted to add to that real quick, Gareth, and that's that um, in Stephen Ryder's book, which is Public Reactions to Jack the Ripper, just to give it a title, um, he also reprints a letter to the editor from a man who 
recalls the story of a nun or a or um, a churchwoman who is is sitting in a church and a man approaches her and puts a red a handkerchief with like chloroform or something like that on it um, mm. to knock her out. And so what you were saying about um, uh, the Ripper drugging his victims, you know, that when I was reading that in um, the letters to the editor book, it really kind of rang some bells for me as well. Uh, mm. But Allie, you want to, or anyone, Chris? Go ahead, Allie. I was just going to go back to the whole concept of, of when, when people try to say, you know, that the, the, the letter, especially we, we got off onto this because of Patricia Cornwell and her intent to link these sort of the these specific, not just the public letters that we're talking about now, but the Jack the Ripper letters. And when I when I look at the the specific Jack the Ripper letters, the ones that wrote in claiming to be the killer, and then when you look at that whole breadth, like you know, is in and and the, the 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 letters just from the general public to the newspapers about the crime, which are somewhat copied in in the in the public reaction to Jack the Ripper. It's just a small component in the book of what are the overall letters that were sent in. And when I look at it, I'm like, we all know we work at, you know, we, we're on the Internet, we're on the message boards, and in every single message board that you're on, there are trolls. And oh, they yeah. come in with the specific purpose of disturbing that environment. And when I look at the letters that were written in um, claiming to be Jack the Ripper, what I really just picture in my head is that 19th century equivalent to the modern day troll. And I really do believe that that was just their specific purpose is that yeah. everyone wants to communicate. We all go on the message boards and we generally just sort of write about the case because it interests us. But then there's always those people who come in just to stir the pot to troll. And, and I really do believe that those Jack the Ripper letters really were just the contemporary equivalent of, of, of an internet troll. Does anyone know offhand of a case uh, of murder that received s as many hoax letters as the Jack the Ripper murders might have received? I mean, is it is it so common now in murder investigations and high-profile murder investigations that that we don't even read about them anymore? Because we were talking earlier about the Yorkshire Ripper case, and there's a singular example of a hoax succeeding. But then when you have um, now, uh, you know, what the reaction of Scotland Yard would have been had the Maybrick diary, for instance, been sent to their, mm -hmm. uh, their police station um, in 1888, a, mm -hmm. a lengthy confession would have been similar to what we saw when F.C. or Theodore Kaczynski sent his Unabomber manuscript to the New York mm -hmm. Times. Was like, mm -hmm. Well, only the man guilty of these murders would have written a 41-page manifesto mm. confessing to the crimes. Mm. Um, but there are, so there are modern cases of, of, uh, of hope, uh, of, of, of criminals communicating with the press and to the police. But do you, do, do we believe that, the, that hoax letters are very prevalent in police investigations and that we just don't hear about them or? Yes, I do. I mean, I know of yeah. I know of cases. The anthrax hoax letters that was just recently following yeah. the anthrax attacks after two thousand and one. There was hundreds yeah. of hoax letters were sent to various people pretending to contain anthrax. Um, I know that in a couple of other murder <laughs> cases I've studied, there were 
definitely, um, you know, probably not as many as Jack mm-hmm. the Ripper, because let's face it, that's an international sensation. Yeah. Um, you have to sort of compare the scope of the, the, the Jack the Ripper mania and look at the pile of hoax letters. And then on a smaller scale, other independent sort of cases that also generate hoax letters. Now, is it going mm. to be you know necessarily the number? No, because we're, we're looking, we're compare, trying to compare a murder to a sensation is kind mm. of a different comparison. But I do believe that the vast majority of well-known cases do generate hoax letters. Yeah. Sorry, there have been other... I mean, there have been other, since the Ripper's time, I mean, there have certainly been other, you know, gen- cases where killers have written to the police. Like, you know, obviously the Zodiac Killer, Peter Curtin did, you know, very detailed letters and notes to the police and maps. Um, even, I mean, Peter Sutcliffe did write to the police before he was caught, but he never used the name of the Yorkshire Ripper. He gave himself another name. Um, he called himself the Street Cleaner. Um, but the, I've never been able to track down whether or not... Uh, the dear boss, or whichever one we take as the first, was that a complete precedent? Does, does anybody know of a case before the Ripper where the killer allegedly wrote to the police, sort of taunting them? Because I've, ne- I've never seen one. No, I've not. Um, I'm, I've looked. I dare say um, that uh, well, undoubtedly someone out there will, 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 will put us right, but I've, I've not been able to find one. Um, and certainly not on this scale. Um, no. I think it all, you know, the 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 the, the Ripper phenomenon, uh, or the Ripper letter phenomenon, I guess, um, all came about through the the burgeoning of the popular press. You know, for the first time yeah. uh, ever, the, the the average working person was able to get their hands on uh, a education uh, and b mm. uh, cheap news. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as as a shortcut to infamy, if you like, a pre-war holy and yeah. fifteen minutes of fame. Um, yeah. I guess the 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 the, the tabloid press was. Was was the place to show off, and I guess the novelty yeah. wore off. But, um, right in the in, case in of in the case of serial well, killers, I don't know of any of this. But in the the Abraham Lincoln assassination, John Wilkes Booth handed off a letter that was intended to be published by the press to a man who worked at Ford's Theater before he assassinated Lincoln, and then while while John Wilkes Booth was on the run, he he composed many letters to the press. None mm. of them were sent, mm. but. But his intention was to communicate uh, his uh, his motives. It was it was uh, to uh, to uh, repair his his image uh, that was slightly tarnished right. after he killed the president of the United States. You know, but I mean, so it's Jesse like a sort James. Of... Sorry. Right, <laughs> Jesse, Jesse James, um, Jesse James wrote, wrote, wrote letters, letters. Uh, and he had pressmen actually working for him at the time. But again. It was mm. in an attempt to rehabilitate his image. It was an attempt to fashion a public image, um, as opposed to what what the if the murderer had written. You know, it was a, it was a couched in a different guise. You know, um, and he, in the Jack the Ripper case, they were taunting the police, whereas um, in the case of Jesse James and John Wilkes Booth. It was a case of them wanting to fashion their public image um, 
as as a Robin Hood type figure, you know, in the popular press. But also, I mean, I how do you know that, that Jack the Ripper letter wasn't trying to fashion his image? I mean, they, you know, Jesse James was trying to craft his image. How do we know that that if I mean, I'm not, I don't believe it was actually Jack, but if that had been, I mean, maybe that was the <laughs> image Jack wanted to craft as that sort I think, of. I, I think I think the difference. But I think the difference is both with, with, I presume, with Booth and I think with Jesse James is, you know, they, they were almost like they were trying to correct uh, what they conceived, uh, you know, misperceptions so that they were already known to the public as named right. individuals. Right. They were trying Rather to rehabilitate than, you know, this, their images exactly, because they had been exactly, named. But the, the whole yeah. Rip, the whole, yeah, the whole Ripper thing was, oh, God, you know, we're, we're actually hearing from the killer himself, but we still don't know who or where he is. You know, it's still that... You know the great and the sort of faceless monster thing. Well, and the other, what kind of, I was going to say that the other thing I think is is interesting was to is to sort of categorise the letters as to also as to going back to the journalist thing as to who they were sent to because there's there's one uh, group of letters which I find particularly interesting because I mean there was um, there were obviously a lot of them were sent to the press either to press agencies or to individual newspapers like the Western Mail. A lot were sent to the police or um, authorities akin to the police, like the Thames Court one. But I think I find the most interesting ones were the ones that were sent to private individuals, either threatening ones or, I mean, one of the, to me, one of the most interesting ones is the Thomas Porter letter. Um, because that, again, has got so much detail and appears to be a confession. But... Um, you know, the tone is so different from the, you know, the barracking, strident, uh, bragging tones of the Dear Boss letter. Um, and this is what I was saying going back to the, the September the 24th letter. The, certainly the opening of that has got a completely different tone. But the Thomas Porter letter, I think, is, is actually one of the most interesting. Do you have the text of that one in front of you? It's the one, um, he was a saddler. He lived up in Nottinghamshire, a place called Hucknall Torcard. And he received this lengthy letter, supposedly from a previous um, apprentice of his, um, saying that um, he'd left uh, Nottinghamshire and he'd gone to live in America. And uh, according to his version, the Ripper was a... There were two of them. They were, they were in cahoots. He, he'd been mesmerised, was the word he used. He'd met this other chap on board ship who he, he said was Bavarian. And this chap had gained some sort of unholy hold over him and that they'd done the killings between them. Um, and he said, you know, there's all this regret in the letter. He says, you know, I wish I'd never left um, um, Nottinghamshire, and I wish I'd never gone to America. And, um, and it's, it's really, well, I say touching, that's the wrong word. I mean, it's still a hideous letter, but, I mean, it's a completely different tone. He doesn't name it. He just said, you know, my pal... It's, it's, uh, the, the headline in the newspaper story was le a letter from Jack the Ripper's pal, which is how he signs himself off at the end. But it's a, it's a very strange letter. And that one's not reproduced in Letters from Hell, is it? No, I, the original doesn't exist. It's only known from uh, press accounts. Oh, okay. But cer certainly it's in the press accounts section on the casebook. And the, the, yeah, there were, there were uh, quite a few letters that mentioned uh, the Jack the Ripper murders being works in tandem. Oh, yeah. And, and um, Well, since we were speaking of hoaxes earlier on i want to touch on the september 17th letter before we call it a podcast today right and this one this is uh would have predated 
the first letter that we mentioned at the top of the show, that was the September 24th letter. This one um, was discovered in, in 1988 by Peter McClellan in the PRO, which is the Public Record Office. And it's dated September 17th, 1888, and it's signed Jack the Ripper. And um, there are numerous photographs of it viewable on Casebook. This is a letter that, from what I can gather, basically just appeared in, in 1988. No public mention was made of it. We have, I mean, meaning that we have no contemporary evidence of it existing. The contents of the letter have various elements that we see in later Ripper letters and, and later Ripper poems that we haven't found the original copies for, like I, um, I Ain't a Yid, for instance, being used yeah. in this letter. Um, the, mm-hmm. um, the text of the letter reads, uh, Dear Boss, so now they say that I'm a Yid. When will they learn, dear old boss? You and me know the truth, don't we? Lusk can look forever. Hell, he'll never find me, but I'm right under his nose all the time. I watch them looking for me, and it gives me fits. Ha ha. I love my work, and I shan't stop until I get buckled. And even then, watch out, your old pal Jackie. Catch me if you can, Jack the Ripper. Sorry about the blood still messy from the last one. What a pretty necklace I gave her. Um, that's apparently in reference to the Annie Chapman murder. Yeah. There is controversy surrounding this letter in that people who have seen it in person say that it appears to be written by a ballpoint pen in blue mm. ink. And that's um, the blue ink is, is apparent when you're looking at uh, the photographs uh, that John Bennett took in particular of the uh, of the letter itself but there are others who will argue that it's that it's no surprise that something uh, could be discovered and slipped into the file and it be authentic and the construction of the um, the letter itself how it lays on the page resembles some other letters in particular the Openshaw letter but the popular consensus seems to be that this is a modern-day forgery. Mm. Is, does everyone else share that opinion? I think it's a transparent forgery. Yeah. I don't think there's yeah. any question. It's 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 so it's so it's it's dated September the seventeenth. It to me patently it's it's a pastiche. It's a composite of the dear boss letter, which was uh, the twenty uh, seventh, and it's, it 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 even quotes from the Lusk letter, which wasn't written until October. Yeah, and there's even an allusion there to, um, I mean, the, the, the first line of the uh, letter of the 17th of September says, uh, no, they say I, I am a yid. Um, well, that's, that's which, a quote from, yeah. McNaughton, I mean, that's, yeah, it's McNaughton's memoirs where, where he, you know, he's got that poem in there, one of the first letters that arrives on my desk or whatever, and McNaughton yeah. says in 1889 when he took over the job was this, this letter containing this poem, I'm not a butcher, I'm not a yid, not a yid. I'm not yeah. a foreign right. skipper. And yeah. it's, so why are you denying that you're a yid at this point in the 17th when as far as I've been able to tell, uh, <clears throat> that, that phrase has not cropped up. Uh, anywhere in, in in the press or in or in any non-existent Ripper letters at the time, because this even predates the 24th of September Warren letter, by the way. <laughs> so yeah. you know, uh, this is making some claim uh, to fame, really. But it, it, as, as Chris has said, it just it doesn't hang together. It's just a salad 
of well, you you, uh, you can you can, you can place almost every phrase. You know, so now they say I'm a yid, and then in dear yeah. boss they say I'm a doctor now. Yeah, and the you know, and he quotes the the version Jackie. Because he signs himself off twice, you know, watch out for your old pal Jackie, which is from the Saucy Jackie postcard. Catch me if you can is directly from the Lusk letter, which, you know, catch me when you can. Yeah, and, and the Lusk letter was Until I get buckled, which is, which is a, a, a pre-echo of the, uh, the Dear Boss letter. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's like all the good bits from, from letters yet to be written. Yeah. And, 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 unless this... Even even, even, no, even quoting Lusk, he says, you know, Lusk can look forever, he'll never find me. But I'm yeah. right under his nose all the time. The implication being, I don't know, <laughs> that he's a member of the Vigilance Committee, presumably, and, yeah. and therefore would have a valid reason to be out and about on the street at night. I don't know. You, can, you know, you can read into it what you want. And as you said, you know, it, it gives me fitzes in there. Ha ha, I love my work and I shan't stop until I get buckled. You know, it's a, it's a straight pastiche. If, yeah, if, if, if it weren't actually headed 17th of September 1888, I guess this was a crib sheet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some kid who yeah. wanted all the, all, all the significant ripper catchphrases for some yeah. exam. Not yeah. that I'm saying a child could have written it. Let's not go down that path. No, no, no. Okay, so, um, and, and I happen to agree with you. And when we talked to John Bennett on one of the past podcasts, I asked him if uh, the security was such when he had visited uh, the PRO to photograph this letter, if he could have slipped something in. Mm. And he said he would have had no problem slipping something in. Yeah. Uh, he may have had a problem taking something out. Yeah. But as yeah. far as slipping something in, he didn't believe that he would no. have had a problem. Um, Which is what, they, you know, they wouldn't expect you to be doing that. You know, it's, it's taking stuff out they're going to be watching for, isn't it? Right. Um, so, what would have been the motive um, of this particular hoaxer, do you believe? It, well, it, it was headline news 88. I mean, either they would... I'll tell you what it reminded me of. I don't know if any of you have read The, um, the Holy Blood and the Holy Grail, which the Da Vinci Code was based on. But mm-hmm. all this... Oh, there was this, this quasi-secret society called the Priory of Sion, based in France which supposedly had this long pedigree and all this. Now, that, ho- that whole Farago, uh, that whole hoax, was built up by them smuggling uh, forged documents into the Bibliothèque Nationale in Paris, and they, they drip-fed it. This was a very complex hoax, admittedly, but that's the way they did it. They would, they would smuggle documents in and leave them in appropriate folders and just wait for researchers to find them and start getting mm. excited, and then they'd drop in a bit more. Now, whether this, this was along those lines or whether it was just a one-off or somebody sitting there bored in the PRO and thinking, oh, I'll put another one in. Perhaps this I was the know. puree of uh, Science Square. <laughs> just a draw. Um, uh, it's, yeah, just, I, I, it's probably just the sheer devilment of seeing if you can get away with it, if anybody actually takes it seriously. Yeah, I mean, what it kind of reminds me of, in in, in spirit at least, is um, is is maybe the diary. Uh, that's the Maybrick diary, and possibly even you know the the uh, the, the Abilene diaries and all, all that sort of stuff. It's it's in this rather contrived style, uh, stilted language. Um, to my view, a rather forced artificial script. I mean, even amongst the, as far as we know, genuine in inverted commas ripper letters. You, you very rarely see this kind of spidery, um, deliberately disguised scrawl. 
Mm. Um, that's not to say that the alleged Ripper letters of the period weren't disguised, but none of them, or very few of them, seem seem to be as contrived, both in 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 in, in a textual sense and certainly in in, yeah. in, in a graphological sense, uh, as as the seventeenth of September letter does. But you know, what do I know? Uh, there are also some stains on it, which look suspic- suspiciously like instant coffee. But uh, I haven't <laughs> sniffed the letter. I can't. I can't comment. Is is the is the letter still in the pill? <laughs> Yes, I believe so. All right. I mean, in fact, um, the pictures that John Bennett has taken, it seems to have been put on a, the back of a piece of notebook paper and affixed with a hole punch and tied on with string. And, mm-hmm. and since um, the letter, uh, there, there are some images of the letter that you can view on Casebook, but, but now it seems to have actually been cataloged because there's a number written in the upper right-hand corner above 1888 um, right. of a catalog number. Now, um, my question is about this letter is how should we treat it? It does not appear in Letters from Hell, but yet, as Gareth was mentioning, the Maybrick diary... Um, James Maybrick and the diary still surface in works written about the Jack the Ripper case as in, in the suspect theories. Um, mm. Should the letter be treated? Should, should, should the September 17th letter, in your guys' opinion, just be ignored as being non-existent? Even though there's nothing that... I mean, all of the, the arrows point to it being a hoax, but it, there's mm. nothing that conclusively can be determined one way or another. I mean, should it be recognized by the Ripperologist well, community? I, as, I think... Or, you know, how should we treat this? Sure, surely, surely the crucial question is, whether hoax or not, does it matter? I mean, if, even if... I think, to me, the crucial question is, if you could prove it were genuine, what would it add to our knowledge of the case? And uh, as far as I can see, it's very little. I mean, if, the, if, if you could prove that the Maybrick diary were genuine, then obviously it would completely rewrite, you know, whole areas of the case. And, and I th- presumably, I, I, and presumably, I Chris, go on, Chris. Sorry. Um, I mean, apart from the the observation that you know, it might possibly be implying that this whoever wrote it actually works for Lusk or is on the vigilance committee. You know, whatever you take the phrase to mean, I'm right under his nose all the time, and I watch them looking for me. Right, or named himself Jack the Ripper before the Dear Boss letter. Mm, yeah, I think that's that's a matter of academic interest, but I don't really see that it adds very much to our knowledge of the case. I, th- I think it says more about us. I mean, I say that collectively and as a, a, a fellow alleged human being. Um, <laughs> and, you know, in a sense, letters like these, I mean, even the contemporary Hawks letters, um, stand out, I think, as, as, as an example of how inventive people can be, yeah. Yeah, how in, enthused people can become by a, a particular subject. And in the specific case of the uh, 17th of September letter, if it is uh, a, a hoax, as I say, I, I tend to believe that it is. And it stands as kind of a, an object lesson in how to put one of these damn things together. Because yeah. as, yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of the, the, the ripple uh, correspondence in microcosm is there for all to see. Mm. And to that um, extent, think, go on, Ali. Well, no, and I was just like, I was, go- I was actually going to reply something similar to you, but more along the Ripperologist community, and that things like this in the Maybrook Diary, uh, they show quite a bit about 
the Ripperologist community in that there are people who fervently believe that these are hoaxes. And yet, Jonathan asked, do we think that they should just be ignored? Well, it seems to be that the people who fervently believe that they are hoaxes that cannot ignore it. They can't just let the people who believe it go merrily on and have their discussion. They have to go on and on and on about how it's a fake and it's a sham. And it's well, then in, in that, that case, do you agree with Evans and Skinner? Uh, when they didn't even include it in their letters from hell, or even it never garnered uh, a, the slightest mention. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, if you find something so preposterous that it's just beyond your credence that anybody could believe that this were true, why spend that much time on it? I mean, I actually find the Ripper Diary interesting because it's it's a it's a fake that, in my opinion, has a chance of being solved. You know, it's a it's a mystery related to the Ripper case that I do believe that there is a decent shot of solving, unlike who was Jack the Ripper, which will never be solved. So mm. the Maybrook Diary does interest me purely on that level. It is a mystery that may be solved. But there are people who just, no matter what, they're never going to be able to ignore this. No matter. Mm. So, no, I don't think that it can just be ignored because we as a community won't allow even the most preposterous of things to be ignored. Mm. <laughs> well said. <laughs> And I do apologize. <laughs> mea, mea culpa. <laughs> and I guess there there's a difference. I mean, uh, of course, the 17th of September letter is going to be debated endlessly on websites and message boards, which is uh, more more people, I assume, visit uh, thecasebook.org, for instance, than actually own a copy of Letters from Hell by Stuart Evans. So... Um, so the criticism that that Stuart and Keith Skinner may come under for not including this letter in their book really is just a wash because uh, it, it, the topic is alive and well in the community, whether they include it or not. Mm. Uh, um, the Maybrook Diary, I mean um, – is a different kettle of fish, like Chris said, because if it is genuine, then it, it changes the case more so than, than whether or not the this, this 17th of September letter is genuine. But um, And it's a topic for another podcast, maybe, about the responsibility of Ripper authors, uh, which we discussed at some length with Martin Fido and Paul Begg on a past podcast about the, Swanson, the validity of the Swanson marginalia. Um, uh, whether they're gonna what what they include and not include in the the A to Z, um, but it is it is um, interesting in my opinion anyway as far as what what we can if every single Ripper letter is a hoax, you know, and then we have one drop in our lapse in 1988 that we're not able to certifiably say is. Uh, not a contemporary um, document, um, you know, how much is worthy of discussing it, of it or not. So, I, I think I, I just find it impossible to believe. I mean, even, um, I mean, although there's supposed to be the, the, the 100-year rule, I mean, it, it's well known that those, you know, that any, any papers relating to the Ripper case had been picked over again and again and again prior to 1988. Right. And I cannot believe it's coincidence that this this object, you know, came to the surface and came to public attention in the centenary year of the murders. I, I just cannot, I just cannot believe that that's coincidence. 
it would be a bit like sort of someone accidentally tripping over the Ark of the Covenant at the foot of the exactly. waving wall, wouldn't it? And saying, oh, there exactly. it was all exactly. along. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, there, there. So I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, you know, we all know how much, you know, how much every, every last iota of possible meaning um, beyond reason in some cases is, is wrung out of every, you know, every little iota of evidence. And I can't believe that a letter like this would have just lain there um, sort of unseen for, I mean, you know, certainly some of the papers were gone through in the 60s. I mean, so, you know, these papers have been looked at various people for well over 20 years. And I just can't believe this thing just sat there unnoticed for, for that length of time and then ha- happened to turn up to public notice in the very, in the very year when it was all in the public eye again. Right. Boggles the mind. Um, well, uh, we're going to wrap this podcast up. Is there anything you guys want to add as last little bits about letters from Jack the Ripper? Don't no. think so. I, could, ahead, could, I do a sh- could I do a shameless plug for, for um, uh, Keith Skinner and, uh, and Stuart Emms' book, Letters from Hell, and for, for Stephen Ryder's uh, <coughs> public reactions to Jack the Ripper? I think... If nothing else, as 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 chronicles of uh, or summaries, if you like, of of of, of uh, social um, thinking at the time of the murders, they are invaluable because they give us mm. an insight into how the ordinary people of the time were thinking. Yeah. Uh, wh- wh- whether that was sensational thinking or helpful advice to the press, it doesn't matter. Uh, it gives us an insight uh, into the minds of people 120 years ago, and that can't be bad. Mm. Yes, I agree. And Ali, you were going to say something. I just said ditto to what he said that I I found that as a tool of trying to come to understand why people would have written letters that those two books mentioned were were definitely invaluable. And that was Rippercast, episode 27, A Practical Joker, The Letters of Jack the Ripper. I want to thank Gareth Williams, Chris Scott, Allie Ryder, and Mike Covell for all being on the show today. We are a weekly podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel Murders, available at the iTunes Music Store in their podcast section, search word Jack the Ripper, or at our website, www.rippernet.com. And if you have any questions or comments you would like to direct towards me or any of the co-hosts or special guests, you can email the show at rippernet at mac.com. I want to thank everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next week.